0: Today's scripture is taken from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6 verses 1 through 9 and Matthew chapter 10 verses 37 through 39. If you have your Bible, uh, if you could open it up with me there, uh, you could also follow along on the screen behind me. Deuteronomy 6, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children, after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Matthew 10, Jesus speaking. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.
1: Well, good morning. Uh, we are going to enter into a four-week series for September, going over our vision statement. If you have your bulletins, would you turn to it and read it together with me? This is two short lines. What is the vision of this church? What is, what is the purpose you exist? And this is our church's vision statement. Ready? Here we go. Leading people to love Jesus, love others, love themselves, and impact the world. Why do you exist? What is your vision? We seek to lead people to love Jesus, love others, love themselves, and impact the world. The third one, you don't want to miss that one. But today, we're focusing on this idea. In our church, if you go to any church, there's a sign that of a real church. And some of you may say a cross, stained glass window, pews, a preacher. Uh, for us, we recognize those are, those are certainly items, but a true mark of a church when you see someone in the street, is this that these people love Jesus Christ? They love Him so much, they do something really crazy. They worship Jesus. NFL starting next week, woo! Dallas Cowboys fans, wow! You're gonna see 50,000 people worshiping because some of them will live, eat, and drink and die football. They're going to drive eight hours, they're going to put on makeup, they're going to sing, and they're going to raise their hands and worship when they score a touchdown. And so for us, our church, we say, you know what we celebrate? When all else fails, we love Jesus. And so we want to talk about that. What does it mean? Why, how, why do we need to love him? And how do I do it? So that, that'll be today's message. So with that said, we do welcome you here, and I just want to share with you, story first. When I first came to this church, some of you heard this story. I preached in that pulpit, you know, after my second week. And an elderly lady came up to me. Uh, I don't, she's a friend of mine. She's still around and she's a sweet friend. And she said to me, Pastor Jason, it is so good to hear Jesus in the sermons. And so I was like a little taken back by that. And I was like, that's a weird statement we're a christian church we're about jesus and so i said well thank you so i just thought she was just being polite literally the next week a different lady comes to me and says by the way i love your sermons because you talk about jesus so i was like time out here and i said you're the second person that said this weird statement i've never heard that it's weird that it's nice to hear jesus and so i said what did you hear and they said I don't know, just, I guess, stories. And I'm not making a statement about the pastors, but for me, what struck me was, if I go to a birthday party for my friend, who's the guest of honor? My friend, not me. So we talk about him, we celebrate him, we sing songs about him. If I go to church, guess who I want to talk about? Who? I mean, if I go to church and I talk about the organ player, the pastor, the choir, the stained glass, Jesus is sitting there going, I'm waiting, you know, where, where's my, where am I on the list? And so we recognize early church went to church. They gathered together in worship because of one reason. They were amazed and they were blessed and they loved Jesus Christ. Back then, they didn't have an organ, stained glass. They didn't have fellowship. They didn't have coffee. That's a big problem they had. They didn't have coffee. They had, but they gathered because Jesus died and rose again. And so, for us, we recognize in our church, we're not going to be a church as a country club. We're not going to gather and play church. We want to be a worshiper of Jesus Christ. So, Deuteronomy 6, I'm going to put the scripture back up there. Next slide. Let's read it together. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Stop. So God is giving to Moses these commands for Israel for the journey for the next 40 years. Here is the most important thing you need to know. You ready? This is the most important thing you need to know. God is saying to Israel, remember this. Hold these decrees. These are going to guide and direct you. Let's keep going. So that you... Your children and their children, after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. God himself is saying, here's a secret to good long life. Keep these commandments. I'm about to tell it to you. You ready? And he goes on, go to church and try to be a good boy. No, we don't, we know, what does he say? Let's read it together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is what the Jews call the Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word for hear. It's meant to be heard, it's meant to be recited. So the Jewish families in the morning they get up, good morning, Joaquin, let's have breakfast. And they would say, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, the Lord our God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, and mind. And so they would say that in the morning, go to work, go to school. And at nighttime before they go to bed, they would gather their children and say, let's say the Shema together. And so this is an incredibly important thing that God is saying, I want you to get this and let this be your driving principle for your life. This is how I want your families to be. And so Shema was spoken, and the first question I have, I'd like to be a critic of the Bible. Yeah, I want to play the devil's advocate. And this question came up in me. Can you command somebody to love you? Like, does that ever work? Like, Kathy and I dated, but for a year, she would not date me. And if I ever said to her, I command you to love me, I would have two black eyes every week. I would have had been a laughing stock. Can you command someone to love you? you? You can't. Unless maybe we have a wrong definition of love. Because in the Bible, it defines a love this way. Can you say agape? You know what agape? It's God's love. It's most described in one of your favorite books in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not self-seeking, it is not rude, and it goes on. When you look at 1 Corinthians 13, do you see the love that we find in social media and the world today where he made my heart flutter? No. In fact, agape is the love that 1 Corinthians 13 is saying. You love out of your will, not out of preference and comfort and ease true love is unconditional sacrificial love you know jesse's jesse's a good friend of mine he's a great pastor we're riding walking down the street and a bus comes and jesse doesn't see it and he's about to get hit so what do i do i get my camera so i sure i catch it on snapchat and post it to people no i don't do that i jump in and i push him out of the way and i take the bus out of what love does that love feel good Getting hit by a three-ton bus. No. So love is not this emotion. It's this commitment, the will. And God is saying, do you love me in that way? And he's commanding us, not out of emotion, but for your will. Would you submit willfully obedience and trust and love for me? That is the command in Shema. See, when life is good, it's easy to say, gosh, God, I got a $100,000 job. I got a beautiful wife. I got a nice house. God is so good. I love you, God. Is that hard to do? Not that hard. Here's a test for you. God takes away your health, your family, your job, everything. And can you still say, God, still, even though my flesh may fill with my eyes, I will see you. That is love. And God is saying, Shema, hero of Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind. So he goes on, and there's three truths of Shema, you know, that I want to just share really quickly. One is, it says, God is one. Can you say one God? one God? One God. I mean, simple as that. Now, for you and me in a Judeo-Christian world, any of you worship a wooden statue this past week? Uh, actually, some of you are like, I you're welcome, you're welcome if you did, no judgment here but in our world, in America no one bows down to other gods we're like, oh yeah, God is God I'm an agnostic but in the Jewish world they had so many gods they were collecting gods as they journeyed like statues, poles stone objects and in that culture, God is saying here's the truth that I need you to know there are thousands of gods but there's only one true God and I am he. And so what a fascinating truth. God is telling us in the Shema, guys, there is no one worthy of your worship other than the Lord God Almighty. Amen? Amen. I'm going to say that one more time to the 21st century church. There is no one worthy of all your worship, life, and death other than the Lord God Almighty. Amen? Amen? Now here's the problem. We, Don't really settle into that every day. And the Shemal is saying, we're going to choose to say, we will worship one God. We're going to touch upon that in a moment. Two, the Shemal is saying, worship of God is not a 10 o'clock service or 1130. Worship of God is life. Can you read that with me? Worship of God is life. Worship of God. So I want to show you this picture that Campus Crusade uh, uses for this Is usually the life that every human being lives. This is from Campus Crusade for Christ to show a graphic visual of here's how you live sometimes. Who's in the middle of that whole circle? The circle is a life. Who's sitting on the throne? The day you're born and you go, change my diaper, wah, 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 we start on that throne. I put it in my pants. I need to eat, wah, wah, wah. What are those blue dots? Those blue small dots are all the interests. My my hobbies, my job, my my friends, my golf, my tennis. And they're all around me, pleasuring me. And where is Jesus Christ and God from the beginning? Way out there. Because if he comes in the circle, I'm not in control. This is what we call a self-centered sinful life. And this is a life that you don't even have to try to live by default when you don't walk with God, the default goes into this. So this, what does a Christian life look like? It's this. When worship of God is everything, the next slide, it's a Christ-directed life. Jesus is at the center of my life. Jesus is who I serve, and I'm at the feet. Every circle in my life, can you worship God through golf? You betcha. You can When it's in reference to God as a center of your life, and that's what he makes you do. I know a lot of Christian golfers. One of them is a family member of our church, Korean worshiping group. Christian, golfs, but that's his calling, and he worships God, and he lives his life as a golfer. He doesn't live his life for golf. He lives his life for Jesus through golf. Very big difference. Uh, One of my favorite baseball players, Aaron Judge. He's not doing that great right now. Every time before the game, he goes into the middle of the field knowing people are yelling his name and he reminds himself, you know who the king of my life is? It ain't baseball. He gets on his knees and he prays. Jesus, this is your game. I get to play and live my life worshiping you and he does that. This is what it looks like in the Shema to live your life as God as a center and he will guide and direct all of that. So God doesn't want to share the center of your life. Some of you are like, I'm going to talk about this later. God, family, and country. Have you, how many of you have heard that? I heard it through country songs. I heard it through all these things. We're like, what do you live for? And we say, so noble. I live for God. I live for family. And I live for country. And so here's an article from Washington Post, March twentieth, 2015. You ready? God, family, and country might make for a good country music song. But that's not really how most Americans see the strongest influence of their personal identity. The real order is 62% say my family comes first, followed by being an American, 52%. Religious faith, all the way down 38% by the Barna Group Research. The California-based Christian Research Company found another 18% of those who surveyed said faith had a little to do with idea of who they are. And nearly 20% scored it at zero influence. We say that because it sounds good. God, family, faith, uh, family, and, tr- and country. But reality, we live by predominantly worshiping, adoring, and living for our family. So, what does Jesus say? And here's today's text, Matthew 10. Some of you may have been shocked if this was the first time you heard this. Jesus says this. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is what? Not worthy of me. Listen, you're not worthy of me. I'm not giving myself to you. You're not giving yourself to me if you love your father and mother more than me. Some of us, we get more mad at what people say about our moms and dads than what people say about Jesus. Some of us will follow mom and dad even if it's wrong that to follow the word of God and what Jesus says. And so he goes on, Jesus says, whoever, does, whoever loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I don't know how Jesus made it more clearer. And so some of us, we kind of water that down. Well, maybe he doesn't really mean that. He goes on, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. See, when we see our lives... Worship of God means that he is the center and all of everything we do. Jesus is saying, when your devotion to me is so great that loving your mom and dad is, seems like hatred, then, then you really see who I am. And I have you. So third thing that he says in the Shema is this. And this is the most important one in terms of most modern families as a result. Number th- next slide. Impress this on your children the shema is not an individualistic thing but parents grandparents don't just teach them and take them to church but impress this on your children make them read it memorize it sometimes they put it on their heads foreheads literally they put it on door frames and this is what god is saying this is what life looks like to me i love some of your homes i've been to it i love and then i realized when you go to your home though Does it impress upon our children that our God is the most important God and he is who we live for? And so these are the truths of the Shema and this is why God is saying in this world where you have so many competing values, you need to be clear. You could get lost. You could get sidetracked. I want you to know who you are. So two questions out of all this and we're up to this. The question is, why does God want me to love and worship him? And I'll, I'll just share this with you. How many of you know the story of, like, Greek mythology, the story of Narcissus? I, I, I heard a gist of it, but it was fascinating. I was reading a book, and the story of Narcissus reveals why God wants us to worship him and adore him. The story of Narcissus, he's kind of not like me. He's very handsome. <laughs> he's very beautiful. He thinks about himself so much, and he was so good-looking that girls were like, hey, hi and narcissist would be so consumed with himself he would just forget about them and the girls would be like oh no he didn't like he totally just walked right by me and then so so they were getting mad and one girl one day got so mad that narcissist rejected him her she prayed out to her god and one god heard it was a goddess named nemesis and she said i want you to slam that punk he didn't even notice me And so nemesis goddess said, I'll take on that challenge. So you know what she did? She's created a little beautiful pond with a perfect reflection of a mirror. And guess one day, Narcissus came by, and he went to wash his face, and he was struck by the beauty of his face. He said, boy, I really am good looking. And he was so mesmerized by that, He just stayed glued in that position, staring at himself day after day after day until he literally whittled away and died. And the author of this book says this, self-centered life, not God-centered life, always leads to suicide. It is death. And so the reason why God wants us to worship him is he's the only thing when you worship, it brings life. Try that with anything, sports. Try that with, try that with houses, Houston. bought my dream house, this is all I ever want to live for. It's gone in six hours. Try that with your kids. I live for my kids. They're my gods. Everything's around my kids. The kids are not designed to give you life in that sense. You will destroy them or they will destroy you. God is the only one that allows us to worship and we find life. It shapes us, it cultivates us. Two, God is saying that, well, let me read you this quote from James Smith Worship works from the top down. When we worship Him in Sunday worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give Him our praise. We are called to worship because in this encounter with God, he makes us and remolds us top down. Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts. Why do you need to worship every Sunday? Not because your mommy told you so. Because something about sitting here next to people, young and old, hearing the word of God singing a song, it recalibrates your heart. It does something to your soul it shapes you according to James Smith it shapes and molds you into the man and woman of God you're supposed to be so of course you could get great sermons on podcasts, dummy of course I do that too the problem is God has called you to meet in fellowship and worship and be shaped in the context of community so the story of narcissists is when we cut out God and worship something else we die so Wrapping up, so how do I love God with everything, right? I'm going to go back to that again. Can God command you, love me? He can. He does. But how can I do that? Help me to do that, God. And he tells us. You ready for this? Right before Deuteronomy 6, God gives us a preface that we haven't read. And this is what God says before he gives us Shema. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What did did God do for Israel? He rescued them out of slavery. Did they rescue themselves out of Egypt? Folks, can Israel save themselves from Egypt? No, God rescued them, and he's reminding them of that. And then he says immediately after, you shall have no other gods before me. Why does God want my devotion? Because he has freed and rescued you from slavery. But I'm in the 21st century. I'm not even a Jew. Well, so this is where the gospel of Jesus Christ comes in. How do we know that God loves us? 1 John 3:16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. How we love God is that we recognize he has been the rescuer. You know, um, how many of you have been keeping up with Hurricane Harvey? Like news. There's tons of news about people rescuing one another. Um, Elderly lady, Chick-fil-A employees, I think, um, got a phone call and someone had a senior mom who couldn't get out of the murky water. So then they got a boat. They traveled all the way to her house. They carried her out of her bed, into the water, and onto the boat. And you see stories like this. And then what do you always notice about somebody that just got rescued? They're smiling, and they look at their rescuer, and they say, we lost everything, but we're so grateful to be alive because of so-and-so. And And they're hugging each other. They're kissing each other. And the rescuer is going, what? This is just being the duty. We're just being a good neighbor. There's something fascinating about being rescued that makes you draw love and devotion to your rescuer. The reason why church doesn't love Jesus as much, we think we rescued ourselves. We think with good morality, good deeds, and following the Bible, we rescued ourselves. We have to take a step back and say, who rescued me from my narcissism? Who rescued me from the judgment of God? Who rescued me from depression, sadness, and hopelessness? And the answer Jesus is saying to us is, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have rescued you. I have forgiven you. And I have given you this life. So 1 John 4.19 says this. Why do we love? We love because he first loved us. So CPCLM, what an awesome vision statement. Why do we exist first? First? To make sure people fill up the pews. No. Why do we exist? To make sure we have a beautiful building and the grass is green. We exist first and foremost to love and worship and adore and have an undivided heart for our Savior and our Rescuer, the one who saved us from something that we could not save ourselves, Jesus Christ. And this is why we sing what a beautiful name it is. This is why we just sang Amazing Love. This is why we just sang How Great Thou Art. Not because music is our Savior. Because Jesus is our Savior. Would you join me in a word of prayer?